you're able to, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, Isaiah 7, 10 through 16. The Bible says, Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. And so tonight's Bible study is entitled this, Misplaced by Mistrust. Misplaced by Mistrust. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand the chapter. And Lord, help us as we make applications that are practical to our daily living. Lord, help our hearts to be tender and ready to be uh, altered and changed. Lord, help us to be in line with you. Help us to be in love with you. Lord, if we'll be in love with you, then getting in line with you will be natural. And so, Lord, help our heart to be tender this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, last week, we looked at, or rather two weeks ago, I was out of town last week, but the Greer spoke last week. Heard he did a good job, but the Greer, thank you stepping in and filling in for, uh, for me. And so, uh, but uh, two weeks ago, we were in Isaiah 6, and we looked at uh, the calling of Isaiah into the ministry. And we said that Isaiah went into the temple, uh, broken by his sin, purposeless with his life, and he walked out forgiven of his sin and with great purpose in life. He left with a purpose to his life, and that was to go and proclaim righteousness to the nations. And he would do that. He would do that in Judah. He would do that in Israel. He would eventually end up doing that to Syria and Assyria. And he would even do that to Egypt and some other countries. But he would become God's mouthpiece on earth. And so he leaves that calling. And we find him here in Isaiah chapter 7. And uh, we find that Ahaz, King Ahaz, has found himself in a precarious situation. Now, before we move on any further, I have a, a printout that I want uh, passed out at this time. And I have this waited, I, I waited to have this passed out to now because you all would have been looking at this throughout the prayer meeting and song service. So I w- didn't want it to serve as a distraction. And uh, what they're going to give out right now, just make sure everyone gets one, this is a printout of the kings and prophets of Israel and Judah, as well as the kings of some of the other countries. And so this is a timeline. Now, um, full disclosure, I did not put this together. Okay, this has been on the Internet for well over a decade. About a decade ago, uh, in my studying the Bible, I discovered this through a Google Images search. And I have referenced back to this many, many times over the years. And as I began to study Isaiah 7 as much as a week and a half ago uh, and began to pray about how I was going to teach this, I found myself overwhelmed and perplexed because there's a lot going on in Isaiah 7. And I wanted to try to find a way to simplify it 
And so we're going to be using this map here in just a moment and uh, looking at that. And uh, there's a particular region we'll be looking at here in a moment. For now, kind of tuck that to the side and I'll have you pull that out in just a moment and we'll look at that together. So let's jump into the outline tonight. I encourage you to take notes there on the back of your bulletin, especially when it comes to this map. It'll help the map make more sense as we go along. If you're at home, I apologize, you're not going to get to see the map. It's too complicated to put up on the screen there. You'll have to come to church to get one or call the church office and we'll mail you one. Or leave a comment in the section below with your name and, uh, and uh, messages your address and we'll mail you one there. We'll probably be referencing this in the future and so uh, you'll, you'll definitely want a copy of it. Number one tonight, let's jump into the outline. Number one, let's notice the alliance against Judah. The alliance against Judah, all right? Look at verses number 1 and 2 of Isaiah chapter 7. And it's quite wordy, but we'll break it down and make it make sense, okay? The Bible says, And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Okay, so um, let me pause there. Who are we talking about here? We're not talking about Jotham, and we're not talking about Uzziah. We're talking about Ahaz. Ahaz is king of Judah. All right, let me get you to participate tonight. Everybody awake? Okay, making sure I'm priming you, getting you ready. Okay, Ahaz is king of Judah. Who is king of Judah? Very good. Now, Jotham and Uzziah are his father and grandfather. Ahaz is king of Judah. All right, let's look on down. It says that reason, the king of Syria. So Ahaz is king of Judah. Who is king of Syria? His name is Reason. Who is king of Judah? Ahaz. All right, that was a trick question. Who is king of Syria? Reason. Who is king of Syria? Very good. So you've got Ahaz, you've got Reason, and we're going to get another character introduced here. And Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel. So Pekah is king of Israel. Who is king of Israel? Very good. All right. Uh, we got, uh, Larry's awake tonight. Good to see, and he's engaged. Amen? Uh, Pekah is king of Israel. So you have Ahaz, he's king of Judah. You have Reason, he's king of Syria. You have Pekah, he's king of Israel. Uh, and it says here that they went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved, and the heart of the people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. So let me just break that down and tell you what's going on here, all right? And I had to read this over several times in my simplified mind to be able to understand it so that I could explain it to you, all right? Ahaz, he's king of Judah, and you have reason, and you have Pekah. They get together, they get their armies together, and they join an alliance to be able to march in and try to take over Judah, all right? So let me give you an A to B here. Notice letter A, Israel's corruption and wickedness. Israel's corruption and wickedness. Now take that map out that I gave you, and let's look at the map here, all right? So in the yellow, uh, those are all of the kings of the ten northern tribes of Israel. So let me back up even a half a step from there. Everybody remember King Saul? And King David, everyone here knows who King David is, right? If you don't, uh, I can send you to, to, to junior church and we can teach you about King David, all right? We've got a program going on upstairs. You have King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. 
They were the first three kings of Israel, and they ruled over a country that was called Israel. And then um, uh, uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam took over from uh, Solomon, and Rehoboam got counsel from the old men, and then he got counsel from the young men who were his friends, and the old men said, lower the taxes and the people will be loyal to you forever. The young friends said, raise the taxes, and uh, man poured on thick. And so he ignored the counsel of the old men, he claimed to the counsel of the young men, and he went out before a mass gathering of people, and he said, my pinky is, uh, uh, let's see, uh, uh, my, my father's thigh is going to look like my pinky. That's how high I'm going to raise taxes. And Solomon already had the taxes real high, and he raised them so high that 10 of the 12 tribes, 10 of the 12 tribes of uh, Israel said, we're out of here. And so they left, they broke off, they broke off from Israel, and they became known as Israel proper, and the two southern tribes became known as Judah. So you have Judah, the two southern tribes, and you have Israel, the ten northern tribes. They become two separate sovereign nations. Both of them are God's people, but they're two separate sovereign nations. So on that piece of paper I handed you, the kings in yellow are the kings of the ten northern tribes, and the kings in green are the kings of the two southern tribes. So look there, you see Jeroboam. When the kingdom split, Rehoboam, my dad always called them the Boam boys, and in uh, family devotions. He'd say, uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam were the Boam boys. They weren't related, just happened to have a name that sounded similar. Jeroboam would take over the ten northern tribes, and Jeroboam would do something very wicked early on. He would put idols, false idols, golden calves, to be worshipped in Bethel, and let's see, one other city that escapes me right off the top of my head, but two cities that were strategically placed, and the folks would go there to worship these golden idols. And watch this now. Every single king of the ten northern tribes would do that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Israel did not have one godly king from Jeroboam all the way through, from Jeroboam all the way through to Hosea. Every single king did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, those southern tribes, the two southern tribes, Judah, uh, they had kings that ranged from Rehoboam all the way there to the end, you see on the bottom there, of Zedekiah. And some of those did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but uh, uh, about half of them would do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And so they would sort of bounce back and forth. Now, we're looking at King Ahaz. If you look at the top column, about uh, about 80% away to the end there, you find Ahaz. Ahaz is king right before Hezekiah. He's there in green. Raise your hand if you have found Ahaz on your paper there. Everybody find it? All right. How many of you did not find Ahaz on your paper? All right. Again, find Hezekiah. There he's the last one in green. And then look one to the left. How, some of you didn't raise your hand to either one. How many of you didn't understand the question? Okay. Everyone understood the question, I hope. All right, Ahaz, some of you just, I'm not participating, Pastor, no matter what you do, you're going to have to drive screws through my fingernails to get me to participate. I'm not doing it, I'm a sour grape, amen? Okay, Ahaz, I hope you don't mind me picking on you. So you see Ahaz, now look above Ahaz, and you see in yellow the name Pekah. Pekah is king of the ten northern tribes, while Ahaz is king of the two southern tribes. Now, 
Look at in the middle of, um, of uh, Pekah and Ahaz, and you see Isaiah. You see Isaiah there? Isaiah was a prophet from Uzziah through the king Hezekiah. Many believe that Manasseh, the next king, had Isaiah's head chopped off or had Isaiah beheaded. Many people uh, believe that. That's not in the Bible, but uh, history books and people who study history uh, seem to believe that. So Isaiah was there. Now, look up above in red. You'll see up above there in red, you have uh, Reason. He's king of Damascus, king of Syria. And above Reason, you have Tilgath Pilzer III, and he's king of Assyria. Now, this is important. Syria and Assyria are two different countries. You see why I'm saying this, this chapter is a little bit complicated? Because we're going to be dealing with Pekah, Reason, Tilgath-Pilzer, and uh, we're going to be dealing with Ahaz and Isaiah and Isaiah's son. There's a lot of characters involved uh, in this uh, chapter here. This map sort of helps give you an idea of who everyone is. Now watch this. Look at your map there. Reason and Pekah are going to gang up and try to take out Ahaz. Okay? And Ahaz is going to attempt to make um, a pact with Tilgath-Pilzer, king of Assyria, in order to ward off Pekah and um, uh, Reason. And so that is the, the Israel's corruption and wickedness, letter B, Israel's civil war. Israel's civil war. And the civil war is that these... Uh, these 12 tribes are supposed to be God's people. Now, again, they're two separate sovereign nations at this point, but they're brethren all the same. And uh, Apeka has decided he's going to get with reason and try to take out Ahaz. And so they do. They get together and they go at each other. Look back at verse number 2 of uh, Isaiah chapter 7. The Bible says there, And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. Ephraim is a tribe um, uh, of uh, Israel, and so when you see Ephraim, that's a reference to the ten northern tribes. Assyria is confederate with the northern tribes, or with Ephraim, and his heart, Ahaz's heart, was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood, are moved with the wind. What's that mean? That means that um, Ahaz and his people are, uh, are afraid. They're fearful. They're scared because these uh, two armies have ganged up together to attack them. And so there is a fear there. That brings us to number two. Notice the anxiety of King Ahaz. The anxiety of King Ahaz. Now, if you look back at your map there, you'll see that um, Ahaz had a, a father and a grandfather who were king, Jotham and Uzziah. And if you go back to the king's the book of 2 Kings and the book of 2 Chronicles, you can read the account of Uzziah and, um, and Jotham. And what the Bible tells us about these two men is that they both did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And by the way, Hezekiah would do that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And so, uh, let's see, you have Uzziah, he did that which was right. You had Jotham, he did that which was right, the son. Uzziah's grandson Ahaz does that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. And then Hezekiah goes back to doing that which was right. So right in the middle of these guys doing right, you have Ahaz, here who we're looking at in chapter 7, who is doing that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. And so part of the reason why he did that which was evil here, or rather why he was filled with anxiety, why he was filled with fear, is because his faith was not 
in God. Letter A, notice, his pact with Assyria. Turn over to 2 Kings chapter number 16. Now, the Bible was not put together uh, in chronological order. And so when you're reading through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, how many of you here have either read all the way through or have attempted to read all the way through from Genesis to Revelation in that order? All right. Um, and so it can be a little bit confusing because you're reading about the kings in, uh, you know, First Samuel through Second Chronicles. And then you get into the poetic books and then you get back over to the prophets and you go back to reading about the kings and you think, wait a minute. I read about that, you know, like four months ago when I was over. What's going on here? Well, the prophet, books of the prophets, as you can see from your map there, the books of the prophets interact with the kings. And so um, you can see there the various prophets that interacted throughout the time. So when we're trying to understand the book of Isaiah and many of the prophetic books, you have to turn back to these history books from 1 Samuel through 2 Chronicles. So look with me at 2 Kings 16, and we get a little bit better idea of who Ahaz was and some, a little bit more of the backstory of what's going on here. Okay? So again, you have Reason, king of Syria, and Pekah, king of uh, Samaria, king of Israel. They're ganging up on Ahaz down in Judah. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty years old was Ahaz when he began to reign and reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Look here, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. And the Bible tells us in verse 3 and 4 how evil and wicked he was. Verse 3, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Remember, all of the kings of the northern tribe did that which was evil. And so Ahaz is going to behave and follow the pattern of behavior of the, of the northern tribe kings. Yea, and made his son to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. What's that mean? There was a God they would worship named Asheroth. And this was a God they would light a fire in the lap of Asheroth. It was a, bra a brass lap. And that fire was meant to represent sexuality and immorality. And then hands would be held out over that fire that would get white hot, red hot, white hot, and they would place their babies down inside those hands and those children would die there. That was what it meant to pass your children through the fire. Now we have an industry today very similar to that known as the abortion industry. It's the same evil spirits that are behind that, but that's what's going on here. And Ahaz is participating in this ritual. He's putting his children through the fire, look at verse 4, and he sacrificed and burnt incenses in the, incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So he set up idolatry and uh, little idols all over the nation. Verse 5, then Reason, king of Syria, and Pekah, king of um, Remaliah, king of Israel, came to Jerusalem to war, and they besieged Ahaz, um, but could not overcome him. So they're trying to overcome, but Judah is able, Ahaz and the nation of Judah are able to stay off uh, this, uh, this, uh, this battle, this onslaught. Verse 6, At that time, reason king of Syria recovered Elath to Syria and drave the Jews from Elath, and the Syrians came to Elath and dwelt there unto this day. So Ahaz sent messengers 
to Tilgath-Pilzer, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. And Ahaz took, look at verse 8. This is um, a grave mistake. Now, before we read verse 8, he does not turn to the Lord for help. He turns to a wicked king, king of Assyria, Tilgath-Pilzer, and asks him for help. And Tilgath-Pilzer, in essence, says, I'll help you, but for a price. Where is um, Ahaz going to go to get the money to be able to pay Tilgath-Pilzer? Look at verse 8. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria hearkened unto him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried the people of it captive to Ker and slew reason. So he takes money out of the temple to pay this wicked king to help him. We see here that Ahaz is so anxious and so nervous. Um, uh, Isaiah 7-2 tells us he's shaking like a tree in the wind. He's nervous and the people are nervous. And instead of turning to the Lord, he turns to Assyria to help him. Letter A, we see his pact with Assyria. Letter B, notice his pious attitude, his pious attitude. Now, God is going to send Isaiah to meet with Ahaz to calm him and assure him uh, that everything is under control and that God has this all under control. And, and he tells him, ask the Lord for a sign. Ask the Lord for a sign. But Ahaz is too pious to do that. Look at verse number 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, ask the sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Now, I would love to give Ahaz the benefit of the doubt here. I would love to say, you know what, um, uh, uh, Jesus even said, a wicked generation seeks for a sign. And say, well, see, he's just doing his best to uh, not tempt the Lord, as he claims here. But the problem with that is, is that God's prophet has come to visit him. We'll see in verse 3 in a moment. And he's standing there and he's telling him, the Lord is asking you to ask for a sign. And he says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Well, why wouldn't he ask for a sign? Can I tell you why? Because he was living in sin. We know, but according to uh, 2 Kings, that he was doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. We know he was taking money out of the temple. 2 Chronicles 28 tells us that he was breaking the furniture in the temple and melting it into gold and silver in order to be able to send out, to be able to pay uh, Tilgath-Pilzer. The reason why he didn't want to ask God for a sign was because he already had his own plans on how he was going to protect himself. So we see here a pious attitude. You know, a lot of people who want to give you the idea they're righteous on the outside while they're wicked on the inside, they have a pious attitude. A pious attitude. Watch this. They have a holier-than-thou attitude. A nose-up-in-the-air attitude. 
Remember the Pharisees and uh, in uh, was it uh, the book of Luke where he stands up and he says, "I thank thee, Lord, that I'm not like that publican over there." Right? Pious on the outside and wicked on the inside. Boy, Christian, the next time you want to be judgmental toward someone else, you better pause what you're doing and look long and hard at yourself and get the beam out of your own eye before you go poking at the moat in someone else's eye. He had a pious attitude. He was a man who was anxious. Why was he anxious? Because he did not trust God. And we're going to see that next. Number three, notice the assurances of Isaiah. Now we're going to spend the majority of the Bible study tonight in point number three. Look with me at verse number nine, if you will. Verse number nine is really key to both the title of the Bible study and the entire chapter. Look at verse nine. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. That's Pekah. Look here. Look at the statement that Isaiah makes to Ahaz. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. What is the key for Ahaz to be delivered and for Ahaz to uh, have God's hand of blessing and protection? The key is that he believes in God. Look at it again. The last part of the verse. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. The title of the Bible study is Misplaced by Mistrust. Now, um, Israel, or rather Judah, would end up being besieged and attacked, and they would end up falling under Assyrian rule for a short time until Hezekiah got rule back and was able to establish their sovereignty again. Why were they misplaced for that short time? Because Ahaz didn't believe. Why is it that you and I end up in trouble in our Christian life? Because our faith becomes weak. Letter A, notice, trust God's protection. What is Isaiah telling him here? He's saying to trust God's protection. Now, this next part of the Bible study is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to take verse 3, and we're going to really, really break it down. Okay, look at verse number 3 with me. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah. Okay, I want everyone to follow along here. Put your... Put your uh, your Bible study, Bible student hat on right here, okay? Verse 3, Go forth now to meet Ahaz. Look how specific this is. Thou and Shear Jashub thy son. Shear Jashub was the son of Isaiah. I'll tell you what that name means in just a minute. Look where he tells him to meet him. At the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. That is very specific. He says, I want you to go meet him in this specific location. Let's break verse 3 down at the location as to where he was supposed to meet him. Notice there in verse 3 it says he's to meet him at the end of the conduit. You see there the end of the conduit. Now, um, I could give, I could show you where a pipe of fresh water is. And you know what? The truth is that a pipe of fresh water does nobody any good unless it has a spigot attached to it. You understand that? If the water's inside the pipe and it's fresh, but you can't get to it, what good does that water do anybody? Right? Notice here it says that it's at the end of the conduit. The end of the conduit. This is coming from a pool, an upper pool. We'll talk about the upper pool in just a moment. 
But the water's flowing downhill, as it does, uh, from this upper pool down to the end of this pipe, this conduit, and there is a spigot at the end of the pipe, and that's where Ahaz is to meet Isaiah. Isaiah is to meet Ahaz. Take your Bibles over to John chapter number 4. Now, we know that there is a pipe of spiritual water that flows to me and you through the person of Abraham. Remember how God told Abraham that all the nations of the world will be blessed through him? Well, that is that pool of water, and Israel is that pipe that it flows, uh, rather the descendants of Abraham, uh, Isaac and then Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, that pipe would flow through Judah, through the lineage of David, all the way through the birth of Jesus Christ, and Jesus would be the spigot at the end of the conduit, beginning with Abraham, flowing through to which we would be blessed. Look at John chapter 4 and look at verse number 13. Here Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, and he says in verse 13, the Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus is the spigot at the end of the pipe where living water can flow on me and you through the person of Abraham. Isn't that good? Look back at uh, verse number 3 of Isaiah chapter 7. And notice next uh, the term upper pool. Look there, it says, Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and uh, Shear uh, Jashub thy son, at the end of the conduit, look here, of the upper pool, of the upper pool. Let's look at that word upper there. That word upper, the root word for upper, is the same word used 30 times in the Old Testament, translated the Most High. The Most High. Now, where does this conduit, this pipe, begins? It begins at the Most High pool. It begins, it begins in the location of the Most High. Where do, where do blessings come to us from? Where does this begin? It begins with God in heaven. Notice the word pool there. The word pool is the root word um, uh, bereka, bereka, which means blessing. Now, now watch how all this ties together. You have a conduit, that pipe that flows from the upper pool down to a spot uh, at the at the highway at the at the Fuller's Field, and this is where Isaiah is meeting Ahaz. Watch this now for me and you. The blessing of the Most High God was given at the end of the conduit or pipe in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, where we are given the water of life. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Now, what about after we're saved? We drink this living water. And we never thirst again. But does that not mean that we still don't need that living water to clean us up? You only get saved once. But boy, if you're like me, you've got to keep going back over and over and over again and getting yourself uh, sanctified and forgiven. Now, look back at verse number 3. It says there, uh, at the end of the conduit of, of the upper pool, look here, in the highway of the upper field. Let's talk about that word highway for a moment. This uh, turn over to Proverbs chapter 6, 16 rather, and verse number 7. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 7. While you're finding your way there, the high, this highway is an elevated path above the surrounding land to keep the traveler's feet clean. So, what was the purpose of this 
spigot at the end of this pipe that flowed from the upper pool that happened to be on this highway that was on an elevated plane. Well, you would travel a long ways. And after you had traveled, you're wearing sandals on a dirt, dirty road, on a dirt road. Your feet are dirty and they need to get clean. Look at Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 7. The Bible says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with them. I put down the wrong, uh, the, the wrong verse here. Uh, verse 17, I'm sorry, look at verse 17, 16, 17. Uh, it says there, the highway, there's the, there's the verse, the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. Now, so this idea of uh, highway, it's an elevated plane where the upright walk. And remember how that uh, Peter asked for the Lord not only to clean his feet, but to wash his whole body. You remember the story? He's in the upper room and he's getting his feet clean. And he says, Lord, I should be washing your feet. You should not be washing mine. And the Lord said to him, well, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing here. I'm washing your feet. And this is symbolic of getting you know, your account right with God. And he says, well, then don't just wash my feet. Wash my whole body. And the Lord says to him, well, you don't need all that. And why? Because once you're saved, you're always saved. But guess what? Day to day, we mess up. How many of you will be honest today and say in some way and somehow you sinned today? Would you raise your hand? Okay, I, my hand's up. You say, how did you sin today, Pastor? That is none of your business. Amen? But I imagine in some way, somehow I have. Um, you know what I have to do each and every day, really even moment by moment, is make sure I go to the Lord and confess my sins for the Lord. You know, the upright are the ones who are quick to go back to the Lord and get the scum of sin washed off their spiritual feet. The highway is an elevated plane. The upright live on that elevated plane. They're constantly sticking their feet under that spigot of water, of living water, and they're getting their sins forgiven. Notice that phrase, fuller's field, out of verse number 3. The fuller's field was the place where folk went to wash their clothes. It was like the laundromat of the day. You went to the fuller's field, that was a place you got your uh, clothes washed. Turn over to John chapter 15 and verse number 3. John 15 and verse 3. I hope when you come to church on Wednesday night, you leave here feeling like you understand the Bible just a little bit better. Look at verse 3. It says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. When I go to the Lord in prayer each day, and I confess my sin to Him, and I ask Him to forgive me, I get my spiritual feet washed. But you know what? When I spend time in the Word of God, I get my spiritual heart cleansed. I get my spiritual clothes cleansed and I keep my heart right with the Lord. Hey, let me just encourage you. Hey, just where like Isaiah went and met Ahaz there at the end of the conduit on, uh, on the highway, the elevated plane of the Fuller's Field. Hey, you make sure you live in the presence of God where not only have you have gotten saved but you keep your spiritual feet clean and you keep your spiritual heart clean and you keep your heart right with God. And what, what does this provide? This provides God's protection. Again, the key to this is that we trust. He told him, he said, if you don't trust, you will be misplaced. You will be, you will not be established. Isaiah 7, uh, verse number uh, 9 there, he said, you will not be established. Uh, uh, but what we want is to be established. And so we must learn to trust God's protection. Letter B, notice, trust God's prophet. Trust God's 
prophet. Now look at verse number th- uh, 3 again, and let's read down through verse number 9. The Bible says, Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet King Ahaz. Thou and uh, she, she are Jashub thy son. Look down at verse 4. Excuse me. And they, and they said unto him, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted. For the two trails, two tails rather, of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason with Syria and, at, uh, and of the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the sons of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of um, uh, Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason, that's the king, and within three score or sixty and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. What is Isaiah saying to Ahaz here at the end of the conduit on the highway of the fuller's field? He's standing there with his son, Shear Jashub, and he's saying to him, in, in very short order, these countries that have made themselves a confederacy, an alliance against you, God is going to destroy them. He's going to destroy them. Um, now, the name Shear Jashub, means this, it means the remnant shall return. The remnant shall return. Um, I named my son a Bible name. I did not name him a Bible name because I'm spiritual. I named him a Bible name because Angela and I were arguing over a name that would sound good in English and Spanish, and that was the one we landed on, amen? I wish I could tell you it was for a more spiritual reason than that. Uh, We did not name April a Bible name. But imagine as a pastor if I uh, had another child and I named him something that uh, made no sense as far as the name, uh, but it was um, prophetic over the future of White Oak Baptist Church. You know, like um, uh, growth is coming to our church, like if that was the name of my son. And everyone said, hi, growth is coming to our church. How are you? You'd say, pastor, you are off your rocker. You've lost your marbles. You're crazy. Isaiah was such a godly prophet that he named his son, um, The Remnant Shall Return. That was his name. The Remnant Shall Return. That's what that translates as. Now, in all fairness, their culture, they did more of that kind of thing back then. Uh, But that's what he named him. And so here he's standing. He says, Hi, Ahaz, let me introduce you to my son. The Remnant Shall Return. And you know what um, Ahaz was thinking? remnant I, i'm already fearful we're going to get carried away are you are you telling me that we're going to get carried away and then come back um he's saying trust god's prophet now isaiah he assures ahaz here at this meeting uh that these other that these alliances are no match for jehovah that god is able to defeat uh, uh, uh pekka and um uh, reason. And then in verse 8, he prophesies that Syria and Israel would be wiped out. Now, did you, do you know this? This prophecy came true. Prophecy came true. Let me give you some dates here. All right? Isaiah's prophecy here in uh, chapter 7 took place in 734 B.C. Now, we count 
down in years. Okay, so 734 years before Christ. This is the year 2021. Next year will be the year 2022. We're counting up. Back then, they would have counted down. So 734 years before Christ, 733 years before Christ. Now, they didn't do that back then, but as we go back and recount history, that's how we mark it. So Isaiah's prophecy took place in the year 734 B.C. Syria would be taken captive just two years later in 732 B.C., and then Israel would be taken captive in 721 B.C. And so Isaiah said it would happen within 65 years. It happened within 13 years. This army that was forged against Judah, that had Ahaz, Ahaz so terrified, fell apart. One of the countries fell apart in two years. The other one fell apart 13 years later. Now, I want to make a quick point of application to everyone here tonight and all of those watching online. That enemy that has you shivering in your, in your boots, has you shaking in your shorts, amen? That enemy that has you so afraid, whatever that enemy is, it may be a person, it may be a sickness, it may be a disease, it may be a financial situation, it may be a health struggle, it may be something that just has your cage rattled. Can I tell you this? There's nothing in this world that intimidates your God. You don't need to run and team up with anyone other than the King of Heaven to take care of you. Now listen, I went to the hospital yesterday and I stood in a prep space with Ernie Simon and I prayed with him prior to surgery and I can tell you this, Ernie was not really that nervous. Can I tell you why? Because Ernie was not trusting the doctor. Ernie was trusting the great physician in heaven. There's nothing wrong with going to a doctor and there's nothing wrong with following common sense medical uh, uh, science and knowledge, but we cannot forget that above all of that, we have a God who is the great physician. And your faith better be in the great physician in heaven before it's ever in any doctor on planet earth. Your faith better be in the God of heaven before it's in any financial advisor here on earth. Your faith better be in the God of heaven than it is over any other protocol that you have in place in your life. Over whatever it is, we must learn to trust God's Word. And here, God's Word was being spoken to Ahaz by God's prophet. But did he believe? No, he did not. Look back at verse 9, the second half of the verse. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. And Ahaz did not believe. He did not believe. Trust God's prophet. Letter C, notice, trust God's promise. Trust God's promise. Look back at verse number 10. We've already looked at 10 through 12. Let's read 10 down through 16. The Bible says, Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. Now, before I continue reading, notice that he's telling Ahaz, Ahaz, you ask a sign, and the Lord will give you a sign. And Ahaz says, I ain't asking. And so Isaiah says, fine, then the sign is not for you. It's for the house of David. It's for Judah as a whole. All right? So he turns from it being directly to Ahaz, and he addresses more broadly. Look here. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, 
But will ye weary my God also? And we have the famous Isaiah 7.14 that gets quoted almost every Christmas season. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Speaking of Jesus, butter and honey shall he eat, uh, that he may know how to refuse the evil. See Matthew 4 and Luke 4 in the temptation of Christ in the wilderness and choose the good. He refused the evil and he chose the good. Verse 16, For behold, the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good. The land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. What's that mean? Both Israel and Judah would land in captivity because of the evil nature of the hearts of the kings. But the Lord would give himself, uh, the Lord would send a, a child to the earth through the womb of a virgin. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 1, and let's look at verse number 20. Matthew chapter 1. I'd like for us to go to the New Testament and see these prophecies coming true. By the way, um, there are a handful of versions of the Bible in Isaiah 7 um, that read this way, Behold, a young woman shall conceive. If you have a version of the Bible that says, Behold, a young woman shall conceive, you need to throw that Bible in the trash can. Because that's attacking the, the virgin birth of Christ. If you take away the virgin birth of Christ, you take away the purity of, God's, of God on earth. You take away that whole doctrine. That is key tenet to what we believe, all right? Matthew chapter 1, look at verse number uh, 20, and let's read through 23. It says, But while he thought on these things, speaking of Joseph, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and thou and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Look here. Now I want to make a point of application to everyone in the room again tonight, all those watching online. When God makes a promise, He comes through on His promises. Every single time. Listen, if God's promised you something in the Bible, He's going to come through on it. Some of you in here may question your salvation from time to time. Hey, let me just say it's as simple as this. Believe and receive. If there was a time in your life where you put your faith in Jesus to save you, then it's sealed. It's sealed. It's over. It's done with. You don't have to keep going back and revisiting that and questioning that and wondering that. Your salvation is not up to you. You extended your hand by faith and you believed and you were put in the hand of, 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 of Jesus Christ and then that was wrapped in the hand of God the Son. And the Bible says no man will ever be able to remove you from the Father. No man. It is a done deal. In fact, Ephesians 4 tells us we are sealed under the day of redemption. It, it's, it's locked down. It's solid. It can never, ever, ever change. Jesus said, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. That means you cannot come up with a scenario where God would throw you out of His family. Hebrews says, Hebrews 12 words it this way, I will never leave thee, nor Forsake thee. Never is a strong 
term. Never is a word you should avoid in marriage. Amen? How many of you learn the hard way? Never is a word to avoid in marriage. You never do this or you always do that. Stay away from those words. Occasionally I make that mistake and I pay the price. Amen? Uh, but uh, uh, you should avoid those words. But when the Lord says, I will never do something, it is a certainty you can write it down. He's going to come through on it. We need to learn to trust God's promises. Do you know what gets us in trouble in the Christian life? What gets us in trouble is when we begin to doubt God. We begin to doubt God's word. We begin to doubt that God's going to come through. Now you know that from the moment that Isaiah gave this prophecy to its fulfillment was 730 something years. But did God ever forget his promises? Nope. Did he come through on it? He sure did. He sure did. Um, we can trust the promises of God that they're true and that they're real. Now, I'm sure that Ahaz, being the godless man that he was, it probably went in one ear and out the other. It probably went right over his head. But what God says, he means. Number four, and lastly, notice the annihilation of Israel. Now, I want to just say this uh, up front. We're going to read 17 through 25. I read a host of commentaries preparing for this sermon, that's probably obvious. Um, all the information I've shared with you, if it's been really, really good, it didn't come from me, okay? probably came from a commentary. Uh, 17 through 25 is a hotly debated, hotly disputed passage. Some commentators believe that this is talking to the ten northern tribes of Israel, and some believe it's speaking to the two southern tribes of Judah. And so a case can be made for either one. Again, Assyria is going to come in uh, in just uh, 13 years and they're going to carry away the 10 northern tribes into captivity and they'll never, ever, ever uh, make it back. But Assyria is also going to come in under Tilgath-Pilzar and they're going to, for a short time, take Judah into captivity. They will escape that, ca that captivity under Hezekiah. So is 17 through 25, is Isaiah speaking to the northern tribes, or is he speaking to the southern tribes? 50% of the commentaries I studied say the northern tribes, and 50% say the southern tribes. I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm not sure which one it is. I don't know that it matters. The larger principle is this. God punishes those that don't trust him. Look at 17 through 25, and we're going to teach you tonight as though uh, Isaiah was addressing the ten northern tribes. Look here. The Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come from the days that Ephraim departed from Judah. And, that, and that's why people believe he's speaking to Ephraim because of the reference there, Ephraim from Judah. Even the king of Assyria, and Assyrians were the ones that carried those ten northern tribes away. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they shall come, Assyrians shall come, and rest all of them in the desolate valleys and in the holes of the rocks and upon all thorns and upon all bushes. In the same day shall the Lord shave with a razor that is hired, namely by them beyond the river and by the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the, the feet, and it shall uh, also consume the beard. Quick note on verse 20. Um, when you wanted to embarrass a Hebrew man, you shaved their beard, you shaved their head, you, you did away with their hair. 
And so this verse 20 is saying not only are you going to be carried away, your nakedness, your baldness is going to be exposed. You're going to be embarrassed. 21, and it shall come to pass in that day that a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep. Why? Why is he nourishing the young cow? Because he is not able to eat anything or drink anything other than milk. Verse 22, and it shall come to pass for the abundance of milk that they shall give. Uh, he shall eat butter, for butter and honey shall everyone eat that is left in the land. Why? Because all of the crops have been destroyed. We'll see that here shortly. So they're left to eat butter and honey. And it shall come to pass in that day that every place shall be where there was a thousand vines at a thousand silverlings, it shall even be for briars and thorns. So the vineyards, the agriculture is washed up. They're left to have to eat butter and honey after their cows. Verse 24, with arrows and with bows shall men come hither because all the land shall become briars and thorns. They're going to be back to barbaric hunting of wild animals to be able to eat. And on all hills that, that, that shall be dig, digged with the mattock, uh, there shall not come thither the fear, the fear of briars and thorns, but it shall be for the sending forth of oxen and for the treading of lesser cattle. So what's he saying here? The land that's rich and flowing with abundance and wealth is going to be utterly destroyed because of your wickedness and your lack of faith. What is the draw here tonight? Or what is the application we can make tonight in closing? Here it is. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 tells us this. For without faith, say it with me, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must know that He is, and He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. I have watched a lot of Christians struggle not because of the hardships that come in their life, but because of the lack of faith they have in their heart. You can bring hardships to a man or woman of faith, and they'll, they'll thrive through the hardships because their faith is strong. You can take a man or woman who's having great prosperity, and they'll still struggle with fear. Why? Because they're always looking for what could go wrong. There's that lack of faith. Hey, we serve a God who's able. Do we not? Amen? Amen? Our faith needs to be in the Lord. And listen, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, the Bible says. Here Syria and Israel are coming down on Judah. Nahaz is shivering like a tree in the woods. He's anxious. He's fearful. And he ended up being misplaced because of mistrust. Now let's make sure we're believing in the Lord so that we can be established. Let's not let fear grip our hearts and fear tear us down. Amen?